Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We are, it's Tuesday, and that means it's Good News Tuesday. I don't know, know why the music's not playing. There we go. It's Good News Tuesday, so let's find out what good stuff is happening while I tell you about all the bad stuff's happening because I can never find good news happening <laughs> in Europe. So, uh, with further ado, now we do this, and then we do this. Today on Before Coffee. Refugees win last-minute extradition reprieve after trying to return from a holiday. The Pope says conservative U.S. Catholics have replaced faith with ideology. I couldn't take it anymore. Holdouts quit Kubiansk after renewed Russian shelling. Commercial cargo ship is crossing ocean using wind wings like high-tech sails. Strong growth of the Dutch economy thanks to exports. Military veterans who lost limbs and received mortgage-free homes to honor their service as they, well, literally give an arm and a leg for a house. And today, on August 29th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Free All homes. right, mortgage-free homes. Let's Money's go ahead and start homes. with our first news story about refugees. I think this one's kind of good news because refugees are already getting enough shit, so it's nice that they get a reprieve after being treated like the scum of the earth or something just for existing. You want, once you're a refugee, it's pretty much yeah, you're like status. the lowest that's existence the for some reason. Even poor people have a better. At least they belong somewhere, right? Anyways, that was not how I feel, but that's how people feel. This is an article from Deanne Taylor on The Guardian. A refugee who was threatened with extradition when he tried to return to Britain after holidaying in Italy has won a last-minute reprieve. The Russian man, who has refugee status in the UK, was threatened with extradition to his home country when he tried to return at the end of a week's holiday in Palermo. Refugees have the right to travel internationally using the refugee travel documents, but this case raises serious concerns about how safe it is to do so. The man, 50, a human rights activist who cannot be named for security reasons, was due to board a flight back to the UK on Wednesday the 23rd of August with his wife and 9-year-old son. After initially passing through security checks at Palermo Airport, he was arrested and taken to Sicily's Pagliarelli Prison. He was threatened with being extradited to Russia based on a 2017 warrant issued by a regional office of the Russian Interior Ministry. In Russia, he worked with well-known activists such as Anna Politskovskaya, the anti-Putin journalist who was murdered in 2006. He fled Russia believing his life would be at risk if he remained in his home country. He claimed asylum in the UK due to the 2017 arrest warrant and after ongoing comprehensive security checks in the UK, was granted refugee status. And then Italy decided, hey, you have a arrest warrant from a country that's currently in war with Ukraine. That couldn't be suspicious. Well, it's from before the war, or actually after Crimea. It's after Crimea, so it probably has nothing to do with that. Shocked by her husband's arrest, her wife contacted British embassy officials who helped for help, but was told they could not assist UK residents who have refugee status, only British citizens. Sounds like xenophobia to me. 
His wife told the Guardian, We didn't think something like this could happen in Europe. I'm so, so worried about him. He has high blood pressure, and when he was arrested at the airport, he was completely white. After hearing the news from an urgent court hearing about the extradition in the Italian court on Monday, the officials were no longer planning to pursue extradition. The man's wife told the Guardian she was overjoyed. It is as if life has returned to my body and my son is very happy. He finally smiled. The UN High Commissioner of Refugees, UNHCR, in Italy intervened in the case and made submissions at the court hearing at, in Palermo on Monday. In its statement to the court, the UN HCR and the man was granted refugee status by English authorities by the virtue of his status he cannot be expelled, repatriated, or extradited to his country of origin. Especially since it's for asylum, right? It's not just refugee asylum. I need somebody to keep me safe. I'm a I'm in danger in my own home country. So maybe you shouldn't send me back there. Just an idea. <laughs> Following the court hearing, the man was released from prison on Monday evening and reunited with his family in Palermo. The family are hoping to return to the UK as soon as possible before some other, other Italian guy <laughs> decides to put them in jail. The, male, the man's Italian lawyer, Luca bon, Bonanno, thanked everyone involved in the halting of the threat of extradition. The decision of the Palermo Court of Appeal has finally restored this man's dignity, he said. Thanks above all to the recognition of refugee status by Great Britain. The man's UK lawyer, Bahad Anasadi of Riverway Law condemned the policy of foreign commonwealth and development offices not to support those granted refugee status in the UK if they get into difficulties abroad. My client found himself in the hellish position whereby he had no access to consular assistance while he languished in an Italian prison awaiting extradition to Russia, where he would inevitably have been executed. It is imperative that the government legislates to ensure that individuals to whom it grants protections continue to benefit from the protection by way of consular assistance when traveling overseas. A spokesperson for the Italian Embassy in London told The Guardian before Monday's court decision, We are aware of the case you mentioned. It is being dealt with by the Italian authorities in cooperation with their British counterparts. This is standard practice in such a situation. Okay, so when Brexit comes along, Ah, Europe, get away! when your refugees are getting threatened to be executed. Now our problem, that sounds like an Italian problem. <laughs> We're working with Europe on this issue. Except for everything else. Okay. But there you go. It's a good story. An annoying story, but it's a good story. He's not being executed in Russia at this very moment. Uh, some common sense was finally found, and he's hopefully going to return back to the UK to his abode where he has asylum from not getting executed. Your next story. Yeah, asylum is supposed to be granted to you, keep you away from unjust political persecution. Yep. But he's got an arrest warrant for something political, basically. Yeah, he's okay. an anti-Putin activist. Nobody's figured out what asylum is in that part of the country, apparently. Uh, <laughs> In Italy, is Italy the one trying to press charges, or is it yeah, Italy is the one who Italy. got the warrant, right? When you scan people's ID yeah, okay. or whatever, so there's a warrant out for your arrest. Did you see why it was out for my arrest? No, we didn't look. And religion knows. This is from the Los Angeles Times, and the reporter's name is actually it's from Associated Press. So they got the story from the Associated Press. Cheaters, no, it's not cheating. <laughs> Andrew Medicini from the Associated Press. Pope Francis says, 
conservative U.S. Catholics that replaced faith with ideology. Francis' comments were an acknowledgement of the divisions in the U.S. Catholic Church, which has been split between progressives and conservatives who for decades found support in the doctrinaire papacies of St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI, particularly on issues of abortion and same-sex marriage. Many conservatives have blasted Francis' emphasis on social justice, issues such as environment and the poor, because I don't know, maybe religion should be about the poor. While also branding as heretical his opening to letting divorced and civilly remarried Catholics receive the sacraments. Francis has made the comments made the comments in a private meeting with Portuguese members of his Jesuit religious order while visiting Lisbon on August 5th. The Jesuit journal La Sabita Catholica, which is vetted by the Vatican Secretariat of State, published a transcript of the encounter on Monday. During the meeting, a Portuguese Jesuit told Francis, 86, that he had suffered during the recent sabbatical year in the U.S. because he came across many Catholics, including some U.S. bishops, who criticized Francis's tenure papacy as well as today's Jesuits. Francis, who hails from Argentina, acknowledges acknowledges point saying there was a very strong organized reactionary attitude in the u.s church which he called backward mm. he warned that such an attitude leads to a climate of closure which was erroneous during that <clears throat> during this you lose the true tradition and you lose and you turn to ideologies to have support in other words ideologies replace faith the vision of the doctrine of the church as a monolith is wrong, he added. When you go backward, you make something closed off, disconnected from the roots of the church, which then has this dev devastating effects on morality. I want to remind these people that backwardness is useless and that they must understand that there's a correct evaluation and understanding of questions of faith and morals that allows for doctrine to progress and to consolidate over time, Francis said. Francis had previously acknowledged a criticism directed at him from saying some U.S. conservatives once quipping that it was an honor to be attacked by the by Americans. And that is today's short and sweet story about Pope Francis criticizing American Catholics. Short and sweet. That's it. Wow, that short story. Mm -hmm. Take a break. Let me finish chewing on the shrimp here. I was eating a shrimp in uh, between. You thought you were going to get away with food, huh? Uh, hey, uh, I haven't eaten anything. Not today. <laughs> not today. All right. My next we're story is going to be really stories. long, so I'm trying to gonna try to cut it up oh, because it's has several different. It's like three articles in one article. We're going to talk uh, about I, I people living out. in <laughs> Kupiansk. At least that's how I would pronounce it. Kupiansk, who have decided to finally abandon the city amid fears of Bakhmut 2.0. This is from Dan Savage in Kupiansk from The Guardian. Antonina Sanina, 75, had spent the last two nights hiding in the basement of her apartment block 
She had endured six and a half months of Russian occupation last year, but now the renewed shelling of the city had prompted her to abandon her home. I couldn't take it anymore, she said a few minutes after local volunteers had driven her to safety. She said eight neighbors hid in the cellar with her as the Russians targeted what they thought wrongly was a bar barracks nearby. You could barely sleep. It'd be on and off. Then they just wake up and you wouldn't know. Was that actually a hit or was it a dream? A day before she took flight, one civilian was killed and 11 injured in a daytime artillery strike on the city center. It was not supposed to be like this. Ukraine's counteroffensive, which began in June, was intended to put Russia on the defensive. But at the beginning of August, Russian forces launched an attack in and around Kupiansk, 65 miles east of Kharkiv. Temporarily, the Ukrainians appeared caught off guard, and the front line moved by two miles. The attackers' strategy is grimly familiar. Shells rained from positions seven or so miles away into the city to the east and south of it. In response, local authorities announced civilian evacuation of Kupiansk and territories to the east of it, an area home to slightly more than 10,000 people in a region that has been liberated last September. Colonel Gen General Alexander Siriski, the commander of Ukraine's land forces, visited the sector, discussed the reinforcements with local commanders, acknowledged that the situation had become, in his world, complicated. Kompiansk was badly damaged as Ukrainian forces liberated it nearly a year ago. The main bridge was destroyed, forcing drivers to take a low, muddy track to reach the center and the pickup points. We stayed on the relatively safer western side, collecting Sanina and a man relatively quickly, although the evacuation was complicated by a loud thunderstorm rolling in at the same time, its bright flashes and rubbles adding to the nervousness. Fortunately, no shells landed wet in West Kubiansk during the evacuation, which took an hour. Smoke could be seen rising from a handful of artillery strikes on the far side of the river as the rain eased. The closest Russian positions were on higher ground on the horizon, and some time after we left, more shells struck both sides of the city. From the processing center, the Muisenkos, which is a family, were driven to the Kharkiv where they had been housed temporarily until some where permanent was found. For people who have lost their home and were facing an uncertain future, they were astonishingly cheerful. We may be old, but we just want to live, Zoya said. Later, she showed off a picture of a phone of her celebrating when the Ukrainians had liberated their now abandoned village, and she insisted on handing over a Ukrainian flag as a gift. Ole Sinyahubov, the Kharkiv regional governor, said that about 600 local people had decided to leave their homes in the past fortnight. That left 12,000 remaining who the governor argued were not necessarily pro-Russian, but rather often clinging to their basic ancestral home where all their relatives and family live. Those leaving get an allowance worth 2,200 hirvnia, hir 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 or 47 pounds each for three months to help them relocate a sum sufficiently modest to make the poorest hesitate. Thurhia Terchbyatia, a spokesperson of the Ukrainian command on the Eastern Front, said Russian forces were firing about 500 artillery shells a day between Kubiansk and Lyman, significantly more than the sector's defenders. If there are four strikes by Russians, we respond with one, he said, although he added the defender's position had been holding firm, a point reinforced by battle maps that show no recent changes in frontline positions. Soldiers on ground, however, talked talk darkly of fears that Russia 
which has an estimated 100,000 troops in the sector, wants to make Kubiansk a Bakhmut 2.0, with a slow, grinding assault designed perhaps to restore its position to the line of Oskil. Outside of Kubiansk, a English-speaking soldier introduced himself, and it turned out he was a machine gunner redeployed to defend the area. Yeah, those machine guns are really good for suppression fire. So, there's another article here about... I have no idea what. But I'm gonna end it there. I don't know why there's like a second article in the article about, I guess, people who are currently living... I guess soldiers who are currently living in Kharkov and how they're dealing with the, uh, the warfare and their downtime that they do to keep moral, mental, and physical exhaustion away so they can continue to defend their front lines. But... Only, not a lot of uh, casualties, a lot of people get, were able to get out, but there's still 12,000 people out there who are holding on, saying, I'm also going to stand the line, and you're not going to take my village, you damn Russians. So, uh, that's our little update here from Ukraine and how the war is going. On to your next story. I need some Wolverines. I'm, I'm living in Red Dawn. Uh, Wolverines! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Commercial cargo ship in Good News Newsday. We'll get on to the good news. It's better news, anyway. This is from the Good News Network, Andy Corbley, who seems to write a lot of stories there. <laughs> Commercial cargo ship is crossing ocean using wind. This is uh, goodnewsnetwork.org, by the way. Con- Commercial cargo ship is crossing ocean using wind wings like high-tech sails. <clears throat> It seems a bit silly, but merchant shipping, which long ago ditched its sails for eternal combustion, is now switching back, but not to any sail you've ever seen. It's called wind wings. The large wing sails measure around 100 feet in height and can be added to the deck of commercial vessels. Pyxis Ocean, chartered by U.S. Global Food Corporation Cargill, is the first vessel be retrofitted with two wind wings produced by industrialization partner Yare Marine Technologies they are expected to generate average fuel savings of up to 30% on new vessels which could be even higher if used in combination with alternative fuels Pyxis Ocean is now on the water conducting her maiden voyage with the wind wings having recently launched in China at Cargill, we have responsibility to pioneer decarbonizing solutions across all our planet supply chains to meet our customers' needs and the needs of the planet. Jan Dialman, president of Cargill's ocean transportation business, said in a statement, a technology like wind wings doesn't come with a risk. And as an ind- industry leader in partnership with the visionary ship, ship owner Mitsubishi Corporation, We are not afraid to invest, to take those risks, and be transparent with our learnings to help our other partners in maritime transition to a more sustainable future. The Windwings project, which is co-funded by the European Union, is a retrofit solution that is capable of semi-decarbonizing existing vehicles. Over half of the world's merchant ship vessels are over nine years old, so extensive retrofitting is a must. The International Maritime Organization, the IMO, has set ambitious goals for the carbon emissions reductions from the use of diesel fuels on vessels. They hope to lower the CO2 equivalents by 70% by 2050 compared to a 
2008 baseline. The performance of the wind wings will be closely monitored over the coming months to further improve their design, operation, and performance with the aim that the Pixis Ocean will be used to inform the adoption process across not only Cargill's fleet, but the industry. According to Cargill's release, on the average global route, wind wings can save 1.5 tons of fuel per wind wing day with the possibility of saving more on trans-ocean routes. There's a story on environmentally sound shipping on Good Twos Newsday. Yeah, I actually saw uh, saw a little picture of that too, right? Uh, like a meme. Oh, yeah? right? I saw a meme that was like, "Oh man, these sales sure are slow." Hey, you remember uh-huh. those sales we were using? <laughs> <laughs> Would be convenient to use them again. But no, it's a really cool idea. Um, there's definitely, I mean, we're already using wind power on land, so you might as well use it as o- on the ocean because there's way more wind there as well. So, way yeah. more wind on the ocean. No mountains. Okay, and my third story, which I think is also positive news. The Dutch economy has grown strongly since the corona crisis. This is more of a local news story, but it's always good when economies are back and up and up because that means less people are suffering as well. It's stronger than any other economy in the Eurozone. The economy was not only hit less hard by the corona crisis, but also recovering better thanks to growth in exports in 2021 and 2022. The Central Planning Bureau, CPB, has calculated. In addition, the Netherlands is becoming less and less dependent on Germany, its largest trading partner. The German economy is generally seen as important and influential for the Netherlands. If the economy in Germany is doing well, then the Netherlands is also doing well, and vice versa. If Germany sneezes, the Netherlands has a cold. It's a well-known saying, but the kite is no longer that idiom is no longer valid. Germany is still the most important sales market for Dutch export products, but it's becoming less and less. This has become clear since the Corona crisis. Dutch exports grew rapidly while the economy in the neighboring countries stagnated. Exports and re-exports to other European countries, especially Eastern and Northern Europe, increased, as did to the U.S. and Asian countries such as China. According to the CPB, the Netherlands benefited from the expansion of the EU and China's growing economic importance. The Netherlands has therefore become less dependent on Germany for exports. In 1980, Germany accounted for 30% of Dutch exports, but in 2021, this was only 23%. The share in Dutch exports to Belgium, France, and United Kingdom has also declined. In the UK, this is mainly due to Brexit, of course. The most important trading countries after Germany with their share in Dutch exports are Belgium with 11, France with 8, and the United Kingdom with 6.5, the US with 5, the Italy with 4.5, and China with 2.5. International trade earns the most from Dutch manufactured product. In 2020, 56 cents were earned of every euro of export value. For goods, this amounted to 120 billion euros. In service exports, the added value amounts to 63 cents per euro, which is good for 100 billion euros. The export value is lower for re-exports with 14 cents per every euro of export value in 2021. This was 34 billion euros, so it's increased a lot, but not so much for re-exports. For the viewers out there, a re-export is foreign-made goods that are imported and are not hardly processed and then exported, so like a middleman situation that goes through the Netherlands. 
With the strong growth of Dutch trade economy in Europe and beyond, according to CBP, the Netherlands, and specifically Rotterdam, can be regarded as the world's gateway to Europe. So, some good news. Uh, economy's not gonna crash after all. People were worried it was gonna super duper crash. I think back in 2021, actually, even, people were like, you better get ready, man. The economy's gonna freaking plummet and explode. And it did, you know, we were in a recession for a little bit. But it, it wasn't... It didn't feel as bad as 2008. Though, in 2008, I was a child. So, I don't remember how bad it was. Because <laughs> I didn't have money <laughs> back in 2008. <laughs> I wasn't sitting there going, Oh no, the value of my house has gone down. I didn't have that problem. So... That's the end of my story. Yeah, 2008 was a bad time to get caught with a really long mortgage. Or mm -hmm. any mortgage. And I had five of them. <laughs> Someone Not by choice. Here. Some of them yeah, were uh, donated limbs. to you. And speaking of mortgages and paying an arm and a leg, I guess we'll make that bad pun again. Military veterans who have lost limbs receive mortgage-free home and sauna to service. This is again from the Good News Network on Good News News Day. Across the country, soldiers, soldiers who, ca who came home mangled from the wars in the Middle East are receiving mortgage-free homes as a small measure of gratitude and honor for their sacrifices. Yeah, I'm glad they said that. Small measure. Small measure. In DeForest, Wisconsin, a medically retired former Sergeant Tori Hanja was recently given the keys to a new mortgage-free home. Walking through it alongside television cameras, he and his wife, Marcella, and their kids were overwhelmed by the gesture. They learned back in March that a coalition made up of Operation Finally Home, Tim O'Brien Homes, and the Structural Building Components Association had secured a new home for the family in the Bear Tree Farms area of DeForest. It means so much to me. Perspective, I can't even put it into words. I'm just grateful and I hope I deserve every bit of it. I feel like I don't, but I really hope I do. I hope I can live up to the standards that everybody looks forward to. He told Channel 3000 after cutting the ribbon in front of the house. For an even more unfortunate soldier, retired Army, Army Sergeant Shane Parsons, the gesture was even more grand. The wheelchair bound, wheelchair bound after losing both legs and suffering a traumatic brain injury, the Gary Sinise Foundation built a smart $100,000, sorry, 100 percent <laughs> accessible home for the man, his wife Jennifer, and their two sons, Owen and Emmett. In the living situations we had, we could really live through 70 per, to 80 percent of the house. It was about as much as he could access, said Jennifer, adding that this new home is all built specifically for him. Even though he's already a wonderful dad, it's going to allow him to be more hands-on, be able to participate more where before he wasn't able to. Located in central Ohio in Plain City, Shane said he's looking forward to setting, settling into a normal life. The Gary Sinise Format Foundation has provided 80 mortgage-free homes to veterans who have lost physical capacity in some form or another. And while the process isn't fast, it's certainly very rewarding. It's surreal. I can't believe I'm actually in my own house, my own home, Parsons told WCMH. I keep thinking that I'm in somebody else's house. And there's one comment. Well, if you all know Gary Sinise is, watch the movie Forrest Gump. He's Lieutenant Dan, who loses both legs. Yeah. In a enemy attack in Vietnam. Your story. Okay. Well, I hope 
Lieutenant Dan got that uh, mortgage. Lieutenant he's dead Dan by got now. He's a, Lieutenant, he, one, no, he's Lieutenant. not real, and two, he's dead by now because he's a no, he's Vietnam. Not. Vietnam wasn't that far long ago. Come on now. <laughs> Vietnam veterans are still okay, living. Okay, maybe he's still and, alive. Sorry, I apologize. Okay, but right, it's too late for right. him to get a house. No, it's not. He's a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. He was, he was uh, he, he shrimp, a He owns a fleet of shrimp boats, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, in gotta, culture we news. Gotta watch, we got to rewatch Forrest Gump, man, because you've completely lost it. You lost the, the story. All right. In culture news, a Burning Man attendees are calling climate activists the privileged ones. Okay. Oh Here we go. Protesters arrested after blocking the routes of the festival, leading to fiery exchanges and threats. This is from Michelle Lecoq. Le oh, I don't know how to say that last name. Loke. Michelle Loke from The Guardian. The road into Burning Man is a rural two-lane highway winding through northwest Nevada. Approximately 80,000 people make an annual pilgrimage to the beloved Bacchanal, many hauling trailers and RVs across miles of scorching desert in order to make it to their fabled Gomorrah. This year, however, climate activists temporarily halted the influx of eager festival goers, blocking the road with a 28-foot trailer, causing a bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic jam for over an hour. They clashed with outraged Burning Man attendees as well as Nevada Rangers. In the recent years, Burning Man has drifted from its hippie roots and become better known for its luxury RVs, wild orgies, and Silicon Valley bros. Protesters from the Seven Circles, a coalition of activists representing the climate group's Extinction Rebellion, Rave Revolution, and Scientist Rebellion demanded that Burning Man ban private jets and single-use plastics, as well as unlimited generator and propane use. Sign painted with slogans, Burners of the World Unite, Mother Earth Needs Our Help, and System Change, were erected around the blockade while four activists changed themselves to the trailer, locked armed through PVC pipes. The activists had driven to the site they'd chosen for the action in separate vehicles, stopping on the road while the driver of the trailer pulled ahead and turned to block both lanes. People in the car stuck behind them initially believed they had, there had been an accident, and they emerged from their vehicles acting, asking if everyone was okay. The protesters scrambled to erect their signs and flags amid the confusion, and when onlookers realized it was a climate protest, many quickly became incensed, huffing back to their cars frustrated at the inconvenience. They're delusional! It's idiocy! boomed Molly, a festival attendee. They think they're going to fix climate change by blocking Burning Man? I don't care what their argument is, they can go fuck themselves. The festival, which originated as an underground gathering in 1986 in San Francisco, has anarchist and counterculture roots. Unlike a typical festival, participants build the event themselves, transforming a 4,000-acre dried lake bed into an ephemeral metrop metropolis, metropolis, metropolis. I got it. I got the word out. Called Black Rock City by bringing in their own infrastructure, food, water, and entertainment in lieu of the program musical headliners. Burning Man's radical ethos also mandates that within the event's grounds, no money can be exchanged and brands are prohibited from advertising their products. Attend uh, here featured is a attendees climbing an art installation at an earlier Burning Man festival in Gerlach, Nevada. Very famous, a bunch of just dust everywhere, people on bikes, and a huge, basically a bunch of cars stacked on top of each other. So... A very famous photo of Burning Man from, I don't even know, probably 2012 or something. 
However, in recent years, Burning Man has gained a cultish popularity among Silicon Valley technocrats, as well as celebrities, influencers, and others who treat the gathering as a photogenic opportunity to network, post selfies, and experiment with psychedelic drugs. It's gone mainstream. Many in these moneyed ranks choose to spend the festival in gas-guzzling luxury RVs because hot weather is scary. Rising temperatures in Black Rock Desert, which has hit a record of 103 Fahrenheit on last year's edition, have led to an increasing reliance on the air-conditioned full-by generators. Concerns over the illegal dumping of trash have also led federal officials to capping attendance at 80,000 against the festival's desire to continue growing. Burning Man attracts the elite of elites to a party and to pretend that they're a classless, moneyless society, said Tommy Bianco, co-founder of the Rave Revolution. But more private jets than ever are flying to the burn. We're burning propane for fun. Their air-conditioned domes are getting bigger every year. Andy Collins, another co-founder of Rave Revolution, added that the tech-utopianism woven into Burning Man culture had endangered a sense of complacency among many of its attendees. There are a lot of people thinking, oh, I'm a vegan, I drive an electric car, I'm working in sustainability, she said. It's very technocratic, privileged mindset. In addition to their concerns over Burning Man's carbon footprint, which reads 100,000 tons of CO2 a year in 2019, the activists hoped the protest would highlight how our climate emergency requires wider systematic change and is needed beyond the personality, personality, personally transformative experiences of a self-realization that can occur at a festival. Burning Man organizers say they are making efforts to be greener. In their 2023 sustainability report, festival organizers celebrated their recent success launching pilot programs for solar panels, offsetting their emissions through purchasing carbon credits, and supporting sustainability-minded camps as they work towards the goal of becoming carbon negative in 2030. However, the activists believe these steps are insufficient to mitigate the catastrophic rate of global warming. Not, of all, not all of the people stuck behind the roadblock were Burning Man attendees. In a fiery exchange, one man angrily shouted that he was a working-class person who was trying to get to work. I'm on your team, I promise, Bianco tried to tell them. The government doesn't care about us. The man shrugged and went back to his car. Well, you can always just drive off the road into the desert, I suppose. But then he would... Everyone else would also start doing that. And then, yeah, there'd be dust There's everywhere. There's no roads. <laughs> yeah. The individualization of systemic problems under late-stage capitalism is crazy, Bianco later said. Wow, he really is the working class. Did you hear that? The individualization of systematic problems under late-stage capitalism is crazy. This dude is 100%. I'm on your side, bro. Come on. There's little... There's... There's this little mentality that I just need to change myself and the world will change. But this current economic system has driven us to record inequality and rec record carbon in the air and, and they are correlated. Many of the Burning Man attendees stuck in traffic dam did not agree with activists because they probably wanted their RVs to be cooler than the outside and they wanted to run their gas-guzzling generators for the next three days. Within minutes of the blockade being erected, several people had called the police to report the protesters because they're all Karens, while others attempted to pick up and move the trailer themselves. One man crumpled up a flyer and the activists had handed it to him and listed their demands, throwing it away in disgust. So he also littered. Wow. I think the protest is very important, but destroying and inconvenient people doesn't do anything. That's literally how protest works. Why can't people get that in their head? If you are bothered by something, the protest has successfully done it. That they're supposed to disrupt your life. That's what protests do. Mm -hmm. Oh, why are they pro these protests are too protesty? They need to stop being protesty and leave me alone. 
I have solar panels on my RV, he noted. The protesters drove here in gas-powered cars. They're literally making the climate worse. They're actually, right? We've had this argument. They're actually making the climate worse. Yeah. They're not literally doing yeah. Festival goers observing the commotion as they waited for the traffic jam to clear question why the protesters were targeting Burning Man when the event has already made sustainability one of its core tenants. In addition to developing environmental solutions, the festival has a leave no trace mandate under which participants and organizers must remove all trash and debris from the festival site when the party's over. We have principles that we try to live by and a lot of them are cultural and environmental in nature, said Benjamin Jorgens, a 10-year burner. Burning Man takes more precautions than any festival on the planet, Jorgens says. In fact, this is about as good as it gets. But it sounds like it's not as good as it gets. Fifteen minutes later, four activists were in handcuffs with pending municipal code violations and court dates scheduled in October. It was over quickly, but for Mun Chong, who sat in the back of the Ranger vehicle in a green shirt that read, No Burn on a Dead Planet, the act of civil disobedience was worthwhile. If you're, you treated the climate crisis like an emergency, Burning Man wouldn't be a priority, she said. When you disrupt businesses as usual, you're forcing people to confront a situation and take a stance. Over these kinds of protests become part of the zeitgeist. What is being what is being late to Burning Man in comparison to having your entire planet on fire? Great way to end that. Great quote to end that. And on to That's this true. day in history. That's right. You That's can't do anything if your planet's on fire. Burning Man is so ironically titled, right? Yeah. It's like we're literally burning in this planet. Oh, and we're going to do this out of order. We're going to do... Did you know it was National Chop Suey Day? Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, wake up. Grab your brush and put on a little makeup. That's right. <laughs> I knew we were going to... I was waiting for the next line. <laughs> yeah, the song, Chop Suey. But not the song, I, I the actual dish. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, this is just... It's mostly a conglomeration of stuff you get left in the refrigerator anyway. So that's yeah. probably what the song was. All right. So, but well, this day in history first. And 70 CE, Jerusalem fell to Roman forces, which included Josephus, a former general of the Jewish army who had defected to Rome, marking the collapse of the Jewish state. Well, he was kind of a Judas before Judas was a thing. 1261, Urban IV, who had held the Bishop Bishoporic of Verdun and was Patriarch of Jerusalem, succeeded Alexander IV as Pope. In 1632, English philosopher John Locke, whose works lie at the foundation of modern philosophical imperialism, empiricism and political liberalism, was born. So John Locke was born in this day, long story short. In 1756, the Seven Years' War ended, a conflict a conflict that arose from the Australian Habsburg attempt to win back Silesia, which had been taken from the Frederick II of Prussia. I'm sorry, this is when this this is when the Seven Years' War began in 1756. Yeah. Okay. In 1842, China signed the Treaty of Nanjing, providing for the secession of Hong Kong to Great Britain. The opening of the five treaty ports, the rights of British nationals and accused criminal acts of China to be tried in British courts and limitation on duties and imports and exports. Boy, China really signed over some crap to <laughs> Great Britain there, huh? 1862, Union Major General John Pope opened the Second Battle of Bull Run, also called Second Masses. 
with heavy but futile attacks on Confederate General Stonewall Jackson during the American Civil War. In 1877, Brigham Young, American religious leader and second president of the Mormon Church, died in Salt Lake City, Utah. In 1893, American businessman and inventor Whitcomb, J. Whitcomb L. Judson was granted the U.S. patent for the clasp locker, which has evolved into the modern zipper. So happy birthday to the zipper, which was called the clasp locker. That's hard to say. Clasp blocker. blocker. Combine them, them bowl and consonant sounds together. And I can see why zipper caught on. 1915, Swedish actor Ingrid Bergman was born. Known for her natural charm, intelligence, and vitality. Also being in, uh, what's that movie with Humphrey Bogart? Was that one called? Um, I was looking at you, kid. Uh... Casablanca. Casablanca? Ca Casablanca, yeah. I was like, I know that name, but I don't remember <laughs> actors' names. But yeah, Casablanca is like the movie you have to watch for film school. I think I've watched it 15 oh. times now because like, oh man, it's so good. It's such a good film. Yeah. Oh yeah. Classic Hollywood film. 1949. That's but... good. 1949 movie, the Soviet Union tested its first atomic bomb on this day. So they're a couple years behind the U.S. In 1997, Netflix was founded by American entrepreneurs Reed Hastings and Mark Randolph, originally a video rental company. It later expanded into video streaming and production. In 2008, American politician John McCain named Sarah Palin as running mate, and the United States politics was ruined irreparably for generations. In 2016, American comic said day, Gene Wilder passed away at the age of 83, famously known as Willy Wonka and as Kid, the Waco Kid in Blazing Saddles and, of course, Young Frankenstein. And our featured event today, the featured event is Hurricane Katrina. On this day in 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the United States Gulf Coast and devastated the area, especially New Orleans, we experienced catastrophic floating after its levees were breached the following day. Uh, featured birthdays today, uh, well, born on August 29th, 1958, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Hey, that's right. Born on this day. Happy birthday, Michael Jackson. 1936 birthday, John McCain was born. And again, he picked Sarah Palin as his running mate on his own birthday. How unfortunate for that poor guy. Trying to get the John female McCain. vote, man. Huh? Did not work, but he tried. <sighs> 1923, Richard Attenborough, British actor, director, and producer, was born. So happy 100th birthday to Richard Attenborough. 1920, it's Charlie Parker's birthday, and he's no longer with us. And, of course, we covered Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman. And what other days is it today besides National Chop Suey Day or International Chop Suey Day or just Chop Suey Day? It's National Sports Sampling Day. So go out there and sample a sport. Everyone One interested in badminton? There's a badminton tournament here in my village if you can go to. Nice. The 20th of, go out there. I think 20th of September or something. We're having a badminton tournament. I'll watch. I'll go there and start the wave. <laughs> Three to two. Yes. Well, sample them sports, even if it's pickleball. I've seen some really weird sports. There's one European sport 
It's kind of like table tennis, but he's a big ball and he used their hands and he can't yeah. touch the table. I don't know. Oh, I've, I, I've, I've filmed a lot of interesting sports when I was working for that production company. I don't know why, oh, yeah, but a ball, a, in Baltimore, there's a bunch of uh, people just coming up with cool, like a uh, palm tennis. It's tennis, but you get points depending on where you serve the ball from, like, or you return, rally the ball well, this, from. And you use your hand, and you use a bouncy ball, not an actual tennis ball. It was uh, interesting. Palm tennis. Yeah, there, there's another sport I forgot the name of it. I was watching it the other day. I was like, if this catches on, I'm probably going to leave the planet. <laughs> so, it's also according to Hoyle Day. If you don't know what Hoyle is, it's a book of card games. Just a oh. guy named Hoyle wrote a, every card game. You can think of. I'm sure it gets updated every year with new card games. But if you oh, want to man. know the rules, like a normal deck you, of cards, you, just any card game, not a normal deck, any card game. It can be Pinochle. Pinochle is a whole different type of, and it's just it's just a book of card games. National chop. So we recovered. It's National Lemon Juice Day. So that's some Hell lemon yeah, juice. Hell yeah, my favorite stuff. juice. Hell yeah, squeeze a lemon, and it's In international. International Gay Against the Nuclear Test. International Day Against the Nuclear Test. So that's yeah, our that's our day roundup. Let's not destroy I, I New know. Mexico's. In, what was what famously what they said in Oppenheimer was something like, "Oh, what uh, is anybody living there? Oh yeah, just some ranchers. Who cares about those that, like five ranchers? We're just gonna blow up a nuclear bomb, and they're gonna be like, the fuck is going on? Because it was a secret, so obviously they don't know there's about to be a nuclear bomb set off. So they're just like, you know." taking care of their horses or whatever suddenly there's a freaking ramp uh what's not a rampage but i can't think of well it was out in white sands uh, missile range where there's there's uh, not a whole lot although if you go out to white sands there's footprints you can find that have been there for thousands of years yeah because nobody's walked over there (laughs) they they just happen to walk over it that where it just calcified or hardened or whatever over time and there's preserved yeah anyway that's today's stories and that's everything for today go ahead well uh, this has been allison here from the netherlands who's excited to try different sports and have some chop suey i don't know what is in chop suey but i guess <laughs> i'll look up the ingredients and then we'll uh, try, to, try to chop our suey here and we'll listen and to some system up and down um, toxicity album for the next hour as we get and hyped up for that chop suey. Why'd you leave the keys up on the table? <laughs> Here you go, creating another fable. One or two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that's Roger from the United States. Gonna just go back to sleep, hopefully. It's Tuesday and it's August 29, 2023, for the comprehensive news of planet Earth on Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.